Hello, and thank you for joining us once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're uh, continuing on in our section of Mitch Stokes' uh, How to Be an Atheist book in the science section, and we're hitting chapter nine, and we're talking about metaphysics, which uh, Tony's going to have to explain to us what <laughs> metaphysics is, because it seems very high and above us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, metaphysics, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? It's the, uh, so actually the way, the, the word came from um, the uh, writings of Aristotle, the early Greek philosopher, and he wrote a, a, a book about physics. Actually, I think what happened was his students copied down notes and put it together as a book. And then uh, there was a bunch of stuff after this, his his discussion and lectures about physics, and they didn't know what to do with it because it really didn't touch on physics and that sort of thing. And of course, the word meta in Greek can be translated uh, depending on uh, the context and other grammatical things as after. Mm -hmm. Right, and so they they labeled these extra uh, things that he talked about after physics, and so we translate metaphysics. So that's where we get the the word from. That's you know that's the things that Aristotle talked about after he finished talking about physics. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, the simple things like the yeah, nature of the universe yeah, and yeah. <laughs> whether other people exist. And so in a philosophical uh, realm, it usually has to do with the study of the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. Right? What is what's what's the nature of reality? How questions about God, obviously, is a mm -hmm. metaphysical time, question. the as mind, as well. yes, uh, those, those things, things that yeah. seem really high above us. And, yeah. <laughs> and don't, don't quite seem like afterthoughts, but, yeah. you know, if you're Aristotle, I guess you can start wherever you want to. Right. And so so what uh, Mitch uh, Stokes here is trying to do in this particular chapter is he's having us consider, can we have a physics-based metaphysics? In fact, that's the name of this chapter, right? Right. Can we base our metaphysics on on the physical you know, aspect right. of things, right? Is there a, a kind of a naturalistic explanation that we can get for things like other people's minds, the concept of time and dimensions and why why the universe uh, has, has started and been ordered the way it has? Are, are, are we able to find these answers within physics themselves? Right. Because we see that when it comes to general rel relativity and quantum mechanics, it seems like those far extremes, new science, uh, you know, are being built as kind of these... Um, these you know, all-encompassing we're finding the fabric of the universe almost literally the 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 strings that uh, tie everything together <laughs> yeah and, string theory yeah exactly <laughs> fabric of the universe oh yeah. that's where that came from uh, <laughs> yeah go, going back to, to plato himself so yeah. um so we we see um we we see an attempt uh, by i think scientists today to try and kind of unlock that you know w when when they come up with uh theories for new ideas like the god particle like oh here's the thing that's really gonna drive everything together and they find it and they're like yes that's great now here's 22 other ones that we need yeah, to come up with yeah, in yeah. order to explain you know a, a part of our theory and uh in the last episode we talked about you know 10 to the 500th power of <laughs> theories which is uh I, I i think i did the math it's something like four and a half uh, t times the number of atoms in the universe. That's how many theories they have to go through. So uh, someone's at a big blackboard just checking them off. So, <laughs> so that's what we're going to, to look at today. And so uh, uh, Dr. Stokes talks about uh, the fact that uh, science doesn't tell us the truth about the funda fundamental nature of reality, which we looked at in the past chapter, despite its spectacular success regarding the parts of the world we can observe. Yeah, and we know this because th th we have the two basic fundamental 
physical uh, theories, relativity theory and quantum mechanics, and yet they are incompatible with one. <laughs> right. So somewhere they've gotten it wrong. Yes, right? someone's tricking us. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, I mean, they're, again, they're both like Newtonian mechanics. The you know, you throw the ball up, the ball comes down. With with quantum you know, mechanics, we we get uh, things on the small end of the spectrum. You know, uh, quarks and, and the the fine fine tuned particles, particles of the of yeah. the universe. Mm-hmm. But then on the general relativity side, we see things like stars and gravity. Those things that are um, that are coming into play on the on the other end of the spectrum, but they don't seem to meet, and they come to contradictory decisions when they go out on those, as uh, Doctor Soaps yeah, calls the, it, the, the branches. Right, right. There's contradictory conclusions. Right. Mm-hmm. The the the, uh, the experiments don't, uh, you know. Uh, check out the way we would expect them to right. do given a particular theory mm-hmm. right yeah especially quantum mechanics because <laughs> <laughs> we're still all trying to figure out what that is yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, w- when it comes to the construction's behavior of matter energy and space time for example uh, there are good reasons as scientists tend to uh, either hold in private consideration or they are flat out about it but it seems like the predominant theory is that God doesn't exist so if they have a hard time with this, this type of understanding of providing us kind of the basic building blocks of the universe or how it's currently made up in, in the big big picture uh, there are um, good reasons to doubt things that are what we would consider unobservable, those things that are kind of the, the paranormal, the, the, um, the things outside the scope that naturalism would expect to, to touch on. All right. So in other words, if they don't, if they don't get, get it quietly, quite right with regard to physical things that we can observe and that sort of thing, why would we expect them, yeah. right, from a skeptical point of view, to get it right about unobservable, such as God and demons and angels and soul and afterlife and that kind of stuff, if they can't get it right about these physical yeah. things? Yeah, clean right? up your own house first type yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, he goes on to say, science wouldn't necessarily be the most reliable source for, uh, and, uh, for these types of subjects. So uh, we're going to look at whether or not... Um, that that's entirely possible to even have a naturalistic physical description of what these these metaphysical questions are. Yeah. So he he says. Um, so then it seems to be a bit premature premature to use scientific premises to account for the origin of the universe. Right. The origin of the universe might we might consider that right a metaphysical question. Right. Right. Not not just the fact that it started. Well, that could be one too, but. How did it start? Where did the original material come from? In what way? In what fashion did it start? There's always the the attempt, things like the Big Bang, or uh, before that, the uh, the consistent state theory uh, that the universe is, oh, the, yeah. that has always existed, or you have Krauss's model, which says like in a vacuum, these um, different particles, ca- yeah, yeah. Ca- come come to almost nowhere. But again, nowhere doesn't really mean nowhere <laughs> when it comes to Krauss. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's not, it's not the fact that it's, you know, uh, at what, sp- what was the speed of light at the very s- start of the universe? Well, it seems to uh, indicate that it might've been faster or, or anything like that. It's just the fact of not what, but the, the why. Right. Right. And so he's, and he says we need to be cautious with regard to using these physical, phys- 
physics-based metaphysics with regard to religious metaphysics as well, right? He said we should be cautious when saying, for instance, quantum mechanics uh, using it to garner support for the doctrine of the Trinity, (laughs) as some people attempt to do, right? You know, Trinity works like quantum, the EPR thought experiment that uh, um, Einstein did and that sort of thing. So, you know, you, you draw these kind of parallels, which, again, any... Almost any uh, parallel to the Trinity is going to lead you into heresy, either uh, on purpose or an accident. But once you come to find out, hey, maybe this uh, quantum holism is inaccurate, what does that do to people's understanding of then what you were teaching? If this was wrong, is your teaching of the Trinity wrong? Because you you based your understanding of that with with the underlying assumptions that this this quantum mechanics theory came up with right in fact he even suggests that we in terms of religious physics we need to be careful with regard to using um physics like the big bang theory to to you know help us to prove the existence of god and all that kind of stuff as well because again you know big bang has to do with general relativity and one of these theories may or may not be, you know, the theory, right? <laughs> yeah, so right. we need to be careful by basing our with basing our arguments on these types of theories, mm-hmm. right? Right. <clears throat> so uh, we have things like the teleological arguments and, and things for um, the the like the Goldilocks zone. So you know, oh, if it was just a little bit farther, a little bit away, uh, but even that has kind of an, uh, a false theory behind it because um, you know, is this the only way that life could have evolved if it did evolve? Um, you know, in in what sense and capacity does does life arise um, in, in this gonna, universe? He's going to really talk about that yeah. in the next section, right? Yeah. So he says, um, you know, we could base our, our metaphysical arguments on those parts of physics which we actually observe, or those parts of physics we think we will survive any scientific <laughs> uh, revolution. And in the case of the former, you know, he says it will take some serious self control to keep metaphysical pronouncements within the evidential constraints. And within the latter, you know, we need to be careful about projecting into the future what may or may not happen. Yeah, right? and, and good luck trying to find something that, that doesn't upend the spectrum. When, once you realize that you can move out of three dimensions, uh, or four dimensions, then, you know, you're, you start questioning th- uh, things a part of that, too. And, and so, um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you come up with anything from any starting point that would survive any scientific revolution? And so this is a pretty interesting quote here that he gives yeah, us by... Yeah, it's uh, really good. Right, cause he's Yeah, Martin, I think is his name. Uh, he's trying to Brett, make Brett, the case... Bradley Martin. Yeah, he's trying to yeah. make the case here that uh, science will probably never be able to answer our most important philosophical questions. So what's he... What's he yeah. What do you, what's, uh, what? Martin's quote here says, uh, The history of science is full of seemingly insoluble gaps in the understanding that has never been filled in naturalistically. For example, we don't know the nature of... of consciousnesses or how conscious mental activity arises out of physical brain activity so uh, i want to move my arm there i've moved my arm how did i do that you know is it just chemicals or is there something else that's controlling it Uh, we don't know why the universe exists again why being a philosophical uh, question we don't know why there is something rather than nothing we don't know why the universe has three spatial dimensions and one time dimension we don't know what the nature of mass is we don't know what the universe is made of. Most of it seems to be dark matter, but we don't even know what dark matter is or if it exists. Mm-hmm. It's just a placeholder for, uh, you know, hey, Something we don't know. Th- there seems to be a lot more uh, gravitational activity and mass in the universe, uh, but it's, it's just dark. We can't yeah. see it. There we go. 
uh, he goes on to say, we don't have a single fundamental theory of physics, which we talked a little bit about last time. The two theories we do have, general relativity and quantum theory, are incompatible. This could go on. Thus, it's reasonable, here's the point, thus it is reasonable to be cautious in assuming that any new gap we discover will naturalistically uh, be filled in as well. Yeah, so if we if the naturalistic explanations can't fill in these various issues, even, you know, why would we think it would, could, whatever else comes up, right, would, phys, uh, would fill these issues? And these are questions, metaphysical questions, that the study of the physical universe seems uh, uh, doesn't doesn't allow us, or it's difficult to mm-hmm. you, to think that that will allow us to answer these types of questions. Yeah, yeah, and we go back in, earlier in the book. We talked about you know the billiard balls hitting each other. The, the The question isn't here. What did they do? We know once one strikes the one, it moves away. The question is why. You know, at, at, you you see it happening. You can say, oh, you know, the 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 force of one pushed the other force away, but there's there's no uh, explanation for the the metaphysical why of, of why yeah. it And so he says, even if it's not impossible to infer metaphysical conclusions from scientific premises, it's a risky business, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Especially at our level of scientific knowledge. Right? Yeah, it seems like we are starting over again. It's 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 uh, what we talked about last time is um, scientists didn't sit around uh, before Newton and say, well, I know we got it wrong, but you know, we're, we're almost there. It's like, no, here's the paradigm. We're existing in it. Uh, you know, it seems to work, and we do the bloodletting and, and, <laughs> and all the other phrenology and the things that phrenology came later, of course, but the, 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 the attempt to do science within that, that framework, and then holes start appearing, planets start appearing, <laughs> movement of planets start to, to um, be discombobulated, technology Mars, is formed. Or Mercury, rather. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you have this, this revolution, and that's kind of how science has always been. And so we exist now in the state of quantum mechanics is the answer. Look at all the TV shows. Everything is quantum, quantum techion. Right. Uh, you know, you watch uh, Star Trek, and you can um, see, see where science uh, pretends to be at in the future. Um, you see the the sci-fi shows where it talks about you know quantum mechanics and um, uh, as uh, Mitch Sosa would say uh, that there's probably some truth within quantum mechanics, but whether or not the entire uh, branches is, is going to find you the truth, especially when it's in conflict with what we see in in um, uh, relativity, it, it's it doesn't seem like we're going to come up with something within that field. It seems like we have to go through another. Um, um, you know, round of revolution, uh, but it seems like we're just in that early stage of yeah. even figuring out. You know, we're we're the the monkeys hitting the bones uh, <laughs> right outside the, uh, you know, the, uh, the 2001 Space Odyssey yeah. uh, uh, obelisk. <laughs> yeah. So so then he says, so when is it proper to use science to help us under, uh, answer philosophical hmm. questions? He says, I wish there were an easy answer. Perhaps the best we can do is to take it case by case, but perhaps there's something we can say here. He says that we might be able to identify the general whereabouts of the cliff's edge. When it comes to the laws of the universe, it simply isn't within the purview of science, not even cosmology and particle physics, to explain the origin of these laws, right? So there, now we can at least get some 
take on where one discipline ends and the other starts or vice versa and that sort of thing. He says, we can say that the universe behaves this way or that way, but just why it behaves this way is something that science isn't equipped to handle. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, uh, science can give us uh, uh, approximate ex explanations and causes, but never ultimate ones, or so it seems to him anyway, right? Right. And, and we do see uh, in the second part of this book the attempt by scientists, uh, physicists, and naturalists to try and scientifically explain, uh, you know, why you shouldn't do things, or or uh, why you ought or should or can't. Um, and here it's saying, well, who really uh, uh, believes the fact that you can uh, put up equation on the board, and by the time you get done with it, you can say don't kill neighbor equals don't kill neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Or give it, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So if no one really understands that, here... A physical here, explanation about why it's uh, immoral to right. kill the neighbor, yeah. right? Yeah. And yes, there are, there are good things that, that, that you can come up with for excuses, you know, utilitarianism uh, or uh, survival of the fittest, depending on which way you want to go with that. But if, it, if it's a, a struggle for... Uh, us to kind of have that understanding there, we should understand that there are limitations of science. You know, the, the, there are, there are uh, hundreds of, of discussions we have even today, things that have been going on for uh, millennia on exactly what, uh, where that divide is and, and the, the social ilks of society and problems and understanding even economic um, uh, issues fall into that. Like if you have communism, uh, there's the understanding that humanity is basically good and, and sharing ends up becoming the, the ultimate good on top of that. But then you have things like, uh, you know, those darn Christians that believe in, you know, original sin and people are born evil. And so then you have um, uh, the, the system of like capitalism that works within that framework and subjective uh, value rather than intrinsic value within just doing work. So, yeah. so yeah. all those things inform things. And we wouldn't say here, here's where science can come in and save the day and swoop in and give us an equation or uh, titrate a, a tube that it turns green when you're right and red when you're wrong or, or something along <laughs> right, those lines. Right, so, yeah. um, so ha having this, this attempt to, to come up with uh, answers that are outside of a purview of science again, as Mitch Stokes would say, does a disservice to what our understanding of science is. We need to understand there are limits, and those limits are fine. There, yeah. There's there's no reason for it, unless if you have preconceived ideas like naturalism is all there is, because then how do you define things like numbers, laws of logic, uh, morality, any of those type of things. So that's what uh, I think yeah. he's building the case here. Yeah, right. So his next section is what about design arguments, right? These are arguments that say, hey, look, you know. Um, this is where he critiques our, our, yeah, our end of the spectrum. Yeah, right. <laughs> These things perceived, I mean, you know, they look orderly and that sort of things and design, and therefore there must be a designer, yeah. right? And so he says, uh, you know, you know, he says, um, and he kind of critiques these, but his bottom line is something like this. He says, um, it is unreasonably rational. Um, uh, and require uh, that will require a non-natural explanation for some of these things. He says, uh, I think that no matter how far we push back the natural veil on physical phenomena, there will always be good reason to think that the whole shebang requires a uh, divine designer. But something important is overlooked. 
those, uh, those some sort of general design argument might be counted as evidence for a designer, I don't think that such an argument is nearly as strong as, and here's the, here's the important part here, our intuition or in instinct that the cosmos has been designed. So notice what he's getting at is, you know, we might be able to get to design, perhaps, but he doesn't think we get to it via argument, that is via inference based on, you know, propositions, mm -hmm. right? That it's something that we get through through intuition or instinct, uh, what he's gonna, what he suggests here, Plantica suggests our perception of things, mm -hmm. right? Which, again, is kind of a different take, and and one of the reasons why hopefully people watch the show is when you think of a debate, atheist versus you know uh, uh, Christian, what are they arguing? They're arguing the historicity of Jesus, or you know whether or not it's possible for the resurrection to have occurred through. Uh, these different sources, or uh, you know, if you have the great William Lane Craig saying, you know, here's the Kalam argument to say uh, it's more likely, uh, it's more possible that uh, the the universe started at a single point and then it came down to a divine directive, and then that per that directive is personal, and then uh, you, you have him enter into creation. So it's building this kind of cumulative case of scientific propositions that. That are, are or philosophical propositions, even. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. We, we would say that there's probably a, a distinction that uh, isn't being talked about there, but when you have kind of a presuppositional approach, you 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 are you are starting out with the fact that hey, we need to look at a, a, a worldview, and what does your worldview entangle? To say, uh, you know, okay, well, okay, you can have the fact that the moon looks like it's old. That's in your camp. Uh, we'll take uh, you know the, the fossils, and so <laughs> there's this attempt to to try and say, okay, God doesn't have purview over that. God God uh, does have over fossils, but presupposition comes in and says, no, uh, by by supposing uh, the biblical Christian God, he tells us that uh, he has given us an understanding that he exists, and it's uh, um, kind of uh, imbued into us that it's it's our it's our intuition that kind of derives um, derives that belief. On top of that, uh, is probably not uh, out outside of there because he'll go into that more. But that through those understandings, we know that God exists, and so um, this this argumentation that he's going into that and Plantica does too uh, falls right in line with a presuppositional right. understanding. Yeah, good. So he uses this, uh, uh, you know. Um rather uh, mundane example here. So he says, in the case of perceiving that there's a table before me, right? I perceive the table before me. He says, I do not make a quick and dirty inference from things appearing to me table-wise to the conclusion that there is indeed a table before me, right? And we don't make that inference. Look, things. this appears to be table-wise, right? Therefore, there's a table, right? He says, rather... I just find myself believing that there's a table, and this belief is so automatic that it's merely tacit, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's part of just our, it's just part of the, the deal, right? <laughs> when my, the given yeah. is what well, one philosopher When, put when it, my right? wife comes home from work, I don't sit there and test to see if, am I just perceiving that she's there, or do I just say, hi, honey, welcome home? Yeah, yeah, or am I inferring that, let's see, I heard a car drive up, I heard the door <laughs> close, the garage door, you yeah. know, came open, uh, I heard the, you know, the door open in, in, in the house, there is a 
you know, person-wised figure in front of me. And it's time that my wife would usually is home. Therefore, probably this is yeah. you know. I can my kiss wife. that person. Yeah. Oh, my, my father-in-law has yeah. just uh, had, had his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right? We yeah. proceed. And, and we talked about this uh, yeah. before too. It's that that understanding of of here. Here's a, a statement. I uh, it's raining outside. You in your office uh, don't don't have the windows. That 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 inference is well. I see that you're wet and you're tracking in water. Okay, uh, that's a good inference. Or there's the fact that you're lying to me because you were late and you're like, oh, I got caught in this rainstorm. Where yeah. really you were just playing in the courtyard and the sprinklers <laughs> came on. That's right. So. And, and what a great excuse. Right? <laughs> but yeah, so th- this this almost seems almost trivial because uh, right, this is what people do. They 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 see a microphone. Here's a microphone. They don't they don't kind of reason up to it, and so that that's that's his point here. Um, and I think scientists uh, or an understanding of what science tends to do is say, okay, well we can't even assume that, but that that that's part of our experience, our our, our kind of uh, universal experience as humans. So yeah. th- doesn't that kind of send up red flags as if this is a universal, as far as we know, uh, at least on this earth, that, that people come to this, then um, then shouldn't this be explored and, and understood within the context of how humanity operates, this, this metaphysical uh, attempt of understanding? Yeah, good. So he says, so my belief about the table is formed not by inference, but in what planet calls the basic way. The belief is immediately caused by my experience rather than by my inference uh, from previous beliefs. Now, what is his point with regard to this? Well, his point is, and again, he he's talking about design arguments, right? So his point is this. He says, I think that some such faculty, you know, this either since census divinitatis, right, is mm-hmm. what uh, Calvin, he says, calls it. I think that some such faculty or disposition is responsible for the strength of belief that many of us feel when confronted with scientific facts about the alleged fine-tuning of the cosmos or even with mundane weirdness like owls and insects, right? Just as we see, in quotes, that we're not hooked up to the matrix, right? I mean, we can't prove it, right? But we can, we just, we see it. We seem to know it, right? Or that other people have minds like ours. We see that the natural world around us must result from a divine intellect of astounding power and creativity. No inference is necessary, right? So that's that's his point here with regard to this issue of, you know, perception and uh, intuition and how we perceive things mm-hmm. and non-inference, uh, uh, you know, arguments and that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the sense of Venetas comes from, the, again, Romans 1, where, you know, uh, it's been revealed to all creation, or all men, that, that God exists, but within our unrighteousness, we suppress, we we, um, we take that belief and we, we build it down uh, to say, nope, that's not true, and in our, in our unrighteousness, in our, our sin natural state, we, we uh, object to, to God ruling over the universe. What again? Presuppositionalist does is say, no, you actually do, and here are points even within your system of belief that you try to get outside of God, where you are actually using the same foundations that He provides to us within our worldview. So when when you see you know the starving children, oh, this is awful. God wouldn't allow this. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Why? Why why is that awful? Having an objective value where all people can uh, look at that picture of a starving child and say, bad, 
uh, it implies all these things that the naturalistic uh, person doesn't doesn't come up with. Well, no, that's just a, a, a bag of matter, uh, not getting enough sustenance, and hey, well, you know, according to theory of evolution, that 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 should be fine. I can go ahead and, and feed that child too. That's fine either. But either way, it, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, yeah. what, what, what is morality no in that? Right or wrong, yeah. morally speaking. Yeah. And so his his so with regard to to these uh, various arguments, he says. So then, whereas there may be decent arguments for God's existence from apparent design, right? Um, he says, what really compels us is, uh, many of us, he says, is to see that God's design, that God designed all this is a strong instinct to do so, to, to make, to say, to perceive that God designed it, right? It's, it's again, this, we just kind of instinctively, you know, uh, perceive it, right? We instinctively, we, it's almost like intuition, we uh, you know, we uh, we presuppose it. Actually, we think it mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So we he felt- says the unbeliever can agree that humans indeed have a, a habit of seeing God in nature, but attributes this habit to a kind of evolutionary trick played <laughs> on us by our mischievous genes. So they suggest, oh yeah, yeah, we have the propensity to to see it that way, but it's just the genes playing a trick on us. Yeah. And we say no, this it really is designed. That's what's going on, and it's not genes. It's put there by a creator. My God. Yeah. Even in uh, Dawkins' uh, God Delusion, he talks about the very fact that uh, religion is helpful for the survival of the species. What he doesn't do in that book is then say, and we should be evolving out of that right now, so we should be <laughs> destroying that. It seems it seems odd that if, if, if there are things that are implanted in us that help us survive, and there are still a ton of people that have a, a understanding of religion, why? Why is it that you're trying to uh, advance the species in that way? It seems like that's a a, a designed attempt to meddle with nature <laughs> that uh, that doesn't care about you know where it's going or or uh, the the um, you know the the consistency or uh, the ability to know things. But here, you know, he's trying to to make us all atheists, which. I'm assuming if if it has a thing for survival, Dawkins is trying to kill us all because he doesn't want us to survive. Yeah. Or maybe he's the secret believer in God, <laughs> and he's trying to be the Genghis Khan of of, uh, of the UK. So he uh, he ends this. Um this particular chapter by asking the question, why would God allow us to get it wrong? The believers often attribute the success of science to God. The question is, yes, but science isn't always successful and we get it wrong so many times. So why, if indeed God is allowing us to do that, why does he, uh, why do we get it wrong so many times? Right. And so uh, he says, well, if God's designer designed us in the cosmos, why make it so hard for creatures like us to get to the truth, right? Another way of looking at this is we should be extremely grateful, he said. So, right? So it's hard. But the, on the other side of the, the coin is we do, you know, at least to a certain extent, are able to understand and know mm-hmm. what's going on. And so he says we should be extremely grateful for how far we have come in science, even if we're uh, far from the journey's end. We look at science as something extremely difficult, but it could could have easily been much more, even more difficult, even impossible. There's absolutely no doubt that the current science works better than the science of a few centuries ago, and we've learned that. So, you know, we can say, well, why is it so hard or why does God, why do we get it wrong if God designed us this way? 
Well, he's suggesting that, but we have gotten it right, on, you know, to a certain extent. And so we should be grateful for that portion mm-hmm. of it, right? The other side of the coin. Yeah. You don't really want to go from swords to atom bombs in a single leap, right. especially <laughs> in a short period of time, because then you're not learning about, okay, well, swords, look at the battlefield and look at the, the blood and the bodies that are there at, at the massive scale, because we have, you know, 60,000 men because we need that against the other 30,000 and we've just slaughtered a bunch of people. (laughs) But then to say, oh, within a flip of a switch, I can take out entire uh, cities based on that. There's there's should be an attempt to learn from kind of our mistakes or where we came from. And and we we have this understanding, too, even within um, even within our own world of saying, you know, look at the 1% of all wealth owners. Uh, th- those who uh, work and, and become the millionaires and billionaires, they're the ones that kind of uh, are, are good at keeping their money. Their children's generations and their children's generation are the ones who are most likely out of everybody in the entire <laughs> uh, economic spectrum to drop down out of their social, or out of their economic class because they didn't have to start with zero and, and yeah, yeah and so, struggle to get yeah. it. So here's and, the survival of the fittest it. right yeah, here yeah. is, is, is w- right. It's, it's always asking that other question is not why we got allowed this, but. So that's kind of an evolutionary that. account of scientific theories. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, he goes on to say our scientific theories evolve because because they were designed by us. <laughs> yeah. So, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so in any case, and here's the here's the end of it here. Uh, patience is a virtue, so is skepticism. He says, uh, um, all of us should be skeptical about the claim that science has shown that God doesn't exist. Even if there were a scientific argument against God, we would do well to be skeptical of it since there are good reasons to doubt the truth of the scientific premises themselves, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, uh, so that's really the bottom line here with regard to this particular uh, theory. But that doesn't stop other scientists from attempting to go outside of their natural bounds and then tell us that God doesn't exist. Right, and then he's going to, that the next chapter then, he's yeah. going to look again at a couple of scientists that try to do that, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. because once again, the scientists and politicians of today are the new priests that are attempting to convert us to uh, to Dawkinism or... So it's extremely difficult to get physics-based metaphysical answers. It's almost impossible. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and so the question is whether or not God exists uh, is a metaphysical question. And the, 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 the take on this chapter is how difficult that is to try to use physics to get there. Mm-hmm. In fact, we probably can't do that. All right. And we, we even see that within the Gospels. You know, Jesus does all these, these miracles in front of the Pharisees, and then they say, well... All right, I believe that those exist and and people have been healed, but it's really because of this other thing that the you know he's got the spirit of Beelzebub in him, <laughs> and so even with an, a, a physical understanding of seeing, seeing isn't always believing. In fact, that's again what the Bible talks about is what presuppositionalism kind of preaches on the back end is you're not you're not dividing camps into these are your evidences and these are my evidences. It says, no, everything is in God's evidence. And it's through our worldview that is given to us by God when he changes us from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He gives us, uh, he makes us a new creation. We put off the old man, we put on the new. It's through that understanding that we have the appropriate understanding of looking at the world as God intends us to it, uh, as, as he wants us to see it. And it, it's th- through his um, objective standard of, of 
science and um, his way of thinking, what we call logic, and through his morality, that's how we exist in harmony with what the world is. And ultimately, if there is a God, then we should live according to what his standards are. Yeah, good. Well said. Yeah. All right, so the next chapter, The God-Failed Hypothesis, any questions that has the, has the God is God the failed hypothesis, right? <laughs> yeah. That some some believe he is, and he's going to deal with that time. Right. So uh, that'll be the end of the, the science section, and then we move on to morality, which is a really fun one and uh, a little bit challenging, too, uh, just trying to wrap our heads around uh, what uh, Mitch Stokes is saying. Uh, but in between uh, those two chapters, we're going to have a couple episodes that uh, that uh, were fun to to, uh, to do, and so we'll take a, just a sm- small pause. But it's still within the uh, the the book yeah. uh, pages. That's so right. so That's we'll right. we'll do one more chapter, and then at the split um, of of them, we'll do two episodes that are uh, uh, not going to be within the book, but they'll still relate to the book. So after that, very we'll related to the book. Very, maybe. <laughs> so we'll hope you uh, uh, stay subscribed. Uh, all the little things that come up on the screen at the end, uh, you're able to to check out other videos and other playlists. And then cavedwithcross.com uh, is where you can go for other things. Um, check out the books that we link to that we talk about. Uh, comments, and I'm always uh, looking for a good troll. So um, I'm going to answer as best as I can. So hopefully that helps, and uh, we'll see you next time.